0: We're all one heartbeat away from eternity. This could be your last day. This could be my last day. You could die and then you've reached your 40th day. Do not boast about tomorrow because the scripture says you do not know what a day will bring.
1: Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Broge. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a study of the book of Jonah, and today Pastor Carl concludes his message explaining how the world in which we live is a picture of the last days as told in Scripture. Just as the Ninevites were wicked in their day, so too America has fallen from following a biblical model, and that has crept into the church.
0: Sometimes God does something once to send a message forever. God doesn't wipe off every sodomite city off the face of the earth, but he did it with Sodom and Gomorrah to tell you how he feels about that sin. And now we live in a day where pastors are, are reinterpreting this whole thing. They say, well, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was a lack of hospitality. Or when Paul says they did what was unnatural, now we have pulpits that are saying, well, as unnatural as if you were a heterosexual and you lived out a homosexual lifestyle, or if you were a homosexual and you lived out a heterosexual lifestyle, so that's what's unnatural. You say, okay, I get it, you know, uh, that can't be true. But is that not what Americans now embrace? Our own president said that this is a protected minority status? He came out last month, I was all ears. He said that sex can no longer be determined, male and femaleness, by biology? Oh, really? And so here we have the new rainbow flag of American Airlines that they put on their advertising. Notice they've added a brown and black stripe communicating that the LGBTQIA movement is part of the civil rights movement. Listen, to equate what Dr. King did in protecting people made in the image of God, that civil rights movement with moral perversion is just absolutely reprehensible. But this is what God said would happen in the last days. May I remind you of 2 Timothy 3, but realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, look at the next word, Unloving. Astrogos is the word. The King James, not using a word for word equivalent here, but trying to capture the nuance of the Greek, does a beautiful job in rendering it without natural affection. The family is under attack like never before because a nation is only as strong as its families. And so, in the face of natural love, as God describes it in his word, we've embraced unnatural behavior. You say, I get it. You know, that's all the mainline denominations, but that's not the evangelical church. Oh, really? First Baptist Church of Orlando last week came out. Hey, that was a great Bible-believing, preaching church. In their history, they've introduced thousands of people into the kingdom. And now they boast to include, quote, homosexuals, transgenders, pro-abortion activists, and all kinds of God-haters to give them under the umbrella of love and care the opportunity to serve in their church. That's doing those people a great disservice. Now, anyone ought to be able to come to this church or any Bible-believing church. I don't care if you're a prostitute, a pimp, a pervert, a drug addict. I don't care what you've done. Everyone is welcome, but not everyone is welcome to serve. Only members who are willing to place themselves under spiritual leadership, it's called elders in the New Testament, who are converted, who have publicly confessed Jesus as Lord through baptism are welcome to serve. You see, we do them a great disservice because when people who are living in lesbian and homosexual and transgender lifestyles can come into that church and serve, we've lowered God's standard. We've basically said everything is fine, everything is okay. And when you lower God's standard, you do a great amount of damage to preaching grace because Paul reminds us in Galatians, the law, the moral commandments of God has become our tutor, our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. God has called the leaders in the church to protect the testimony of the local fellowship. You can only do that when you meet the two requirements that God gives in the New Testament for membership and thus serving. A regeneration that produces a new creature in Christ where the old life has passed away and everything has become new until you've been baptized as a symbol of that regeneration. Now God gave one brief expression of wrath and letting you know how he feels about sodomy. God doesn't wipe out every liar in the church. Ananias and Sapphire were born-again believers and God took their lives for lying. But God is threatening, and it's not an idle threat, to do what he's going to do in Nineveh because he sees the wickedness of these people. Yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Now remember, these people as archeology span reveals as their own writings that had been preserved and has come down to us reveals, they were sodomites, they were sexual perverts, they took newborn babies and they offered them to the bull god and, and burned them alive. They skinned their enemies when captured alive, they plucked out their eyes, they impaled them on stakes. Sometimes they would bury them alive. Other records record that when they slaughtered their enemies, they would then take their blood and they would paint their walls to it. And they were proud of these things. Here's a piece of ancient Assyrian art dealing with their captives, plucking out their eyes. Here's a carving showing their invasion over Israel where they took the Hebrews and they impaled them on stakes. Here is their city gates, the hinges on the gates where again they depict their cruelty to their captives. The Ninevites were Israel's most feared enemies and they were intensely inhumane. They were immoral, they were brutal, they were perverted. Every time we go to Israel... We go to Yad Vashem, I've been there now a dozen times, and sometimes when we take people there, there's always a few people sometimes, not always, but most of the time, they come out literally sick to their stomach. Yad Vashem, it would be the equivalent to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, but much more graphic and far more accurate. It doesn't even compare to what we know about the Assyrians. Now, if you read the book of Nahum, Nahum comes 100 years after Jonah. And what's so sad is that while these people in Assyria repent and God spares them, 100 years later, the grandchildren repent of their prior generation's repentance. They repent of their repentance. And God judges them. People every once in a while say, well, why isn't God doing anything? I mean, look at our world. Look what's happening. Why doesn't God... Something he is, and his silence speaks volumes because he's giving people an opportunity to repent. Understand, wrath comes on three levels there's eternal wrath, that's in the place of judgment called the lake of fire. There is tribulation wrath, that is yet future, it will unfold over the course of seven years. There is cataclysmic wrath, where God brings a great flood or destroys a city like Sodom and Gomorrah. But then there is what Paul calls in Romans 1, the wrath of God that is being revealed where a nation suppresses the truth of God and God gives them over to sensuality, stage one. God gives them over to homosexuality, stage two. God gives them over to a depraved, upside-down mind. So I heard this politician talking about why we should, you know, defund the police and put a psychologist this last week, you know, in all these cities. And I thought, are you out of your mind? But that's what the way an upside-down mind thinks. They can't think straight. Oh, biology doesn't determine gender. Oh, really, what does? That's what upside-down minds think. And even here in the United States, God sees our appetite for filth and for sexual immorality and how people just kind of brush it off and entertain themselves week after week on it. He sees how we've redefined marriage. He sees the rampant premarital and extramarital sex. He sees the homosexuality and transgenderism and a denial of two genders, male and female. And God said here in Jonah 1-2, their wickedness has come up before me, meaning I, I can't take any more. God is long suffering. One of these days, the dam of God's mercy is going to break to his wrath. And he is already beginning to judge this nation. Now, Jonah had preached in some pleasant places before as we discovered earlier in the first message. But now he's in a wicked place. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. God is saying, I'm giving you 40 days to get right with me. Why not just wipe him out because of the kind of God he is? He said, but they're so evil, but he is still compassionate. And Jonah will say in the fourth chapter, therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning this calamity. Yes, the New Testament teaches the same thing. God will punish sin, but God loves to forgive sin. Peter will write, the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Paul will say that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And if you die lost without Jesus Christ, you'll have no one to blame but yourself. Because God provided a way of escape, someone who took your eternal judgment on a bloody Roman cross. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown as we'll look at. This was not his entire message, but this is succinctly what he is saying. Nineveh will be overthrown. How are we going to apply this? Let me make some applications as we close. And let me just say before we get to the first application, I hope you're gripped with the reality that God is a God of judgment. We've got enough soft-spoken preachers filling pulpits all across Mary. I'm not talking about people who are ranting and raving in an unhealthy way like we witnessed in this community 30 years ago. But well, I'm just talking about people telling people the truth. That heaven is real, but so is hell. So how are we going to apply this? Number one, I learned that there is a time limit set on every man. There's a time limit set on every man. God gave Ninnah 40 days to repent, and then he was going to destroy it if they didn't. They had to settle the issue. What are they going to do? And some of you today, you have to settle the issue. Some of you are listening to me somewhere, maybe here. And this could be your 40th day. You say, how can you say that? I'm gonna give you three reasons why. Reason number one, you could die today. I have two notebooks, they're about this thick in my office. Of the 500 plus funerals I've done since I've been the pastor of this church. And a lot of those people with a lot of those funerals I did, some of them were expected. But I would say the majority of them were not expected. No one planned to die in that given year. When January 1 rolled around, they thought they had a whole nother full year. We're all one heartbeat away from eternity. This could be your last day. This could be my last day. You could die, and then you've reached your 40th day. Do not boast about tomorrow because the Scripture says you do not know what a day will bring. So number one, you could die today. Number two, Christ could come and rapture the church. You say, well, I don't think he'll come back today. He'll come like a thief in the night to unbelievers when the Bible describes Christ coming as a thief in the night, it's not in reference to those that know him, it's in reference to those who don't know him. Now, I hope you know that there's nothing prophetically that has ever needed to be done to fulfill the catching up of the church. It could have happened one day after Pentecost, and the disciples are there on the Mount of Olives, and they said, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You're talking all about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to work in a powerful, incredible way during the reign of Messiah on the earth. Is this the time you're going to restore? He says, it's not for you to know the times or the epics, but I got a mission for you to go and preach. And as they write the New Testament, they speak of an imminent coming, that nothing has to happen. However, the second coming is a prophetically driven event. All kinds of things need to happen for the second coming. People say to me sometimes, I wish we lived in biblical times. You're living in biblical times. One of the marks at the end of the ages, there would be gross apostasy. Yeah, almost a day doesn't go by where I don't hear of some new woke church that once preached the gospel. There will be growing apostasy. There will be lawlessness and violence for the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. There will be sexual immorality and sexual perversion for the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Lot. And Israel will be back in the land of And while seemingly nothing happened for 1,900 years, they went from 20,000 Jews to 7 million, now living in the land of Israel. God is setting the stage. He could come back at any moment. You say, well, what if he came back? If you've heard the plan of salvation and you can't come to a church like this and say you haven't heard it, you'd be eternally lost, and this would be your 40th day now i hope you understand that do you remember what paul said to the church at thessalonica he spoke of a coming man of sin listen to these words then that lawless one that's one of 30 plus titles given for the coming antichrist that lawless one will be revealed whom the lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming that one who's coming his parousia is in accord with the activity of satan with all power And signs and false wonders. Now, I think it's a gross exaggeration as I've heard some preachers say that the Antichrist is the incarnation of Satan like Christ is the incarnation of the Father. Well, number one, Christ is not the incarnation of the Father. There's one God, but there's three co-equal, co-eternal persons. But lay that aside. This is a normal man, but a man who is definitely inspired by the evil one. And so, on the one hand, he is a normal man, but on the other hand, he is a clever parody of what Jesus is like. Why? Because he will come with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. The coming Antichrist will come with great satanic deception. For this reason, verse 11, for what reason? Because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved. Some of you, maybe you're listening. And you love sin. You don't hate it. You love it. Because you haven't been born again. Understand, in Jesus' day, there were Jewish people who had a zeal for God, but Paul said not in accordance with knowledge. They tried to establish their own righteousness rather than the righteousness that God can only gift to you. In our day, we have people who fill evangelical churches whose minds are filled with knowledge, but they have no zeal for God. Why? Because they know the plan of salvation here, but they don't know it here. They haven't been regenerated because the grace of God that brings us salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live holy and righteously in this current age. So for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. You say, that seems unfair that God would delude someone. No, not at all, because they had the opportunity to hear their truth and to respond to it because they did not love the truth so as to be saved. So behind this great delusion is this great refusal to embrace Jesus as Lord. And the Antichrist will mimic Christ. He'll come, the text says here, with miracles and signs and false wonders. All kinds of power will be given to this satanic counterfeit. And he'll be able to receive worship from people. The Bible teaches that the number of his name will be 666. In Hebrew, like in Greek, every single letter in the Greek and Hebrew alphabet has a numeric equivalent. We call it grammatia. And if you took this man's name and you took the letters of the name, it would add up to 666. And you won't be able to buy or sell anything. I had a Marine recently, very upset after Meet the Pastor. He waited until we came out with another dear brother and just said, I'm I'm concerned about getting this vaccination. I think it might be the mark of the beast. I said, it's not the mark of the beast. You got to have a beast to have the beast mark. The beast isn't even here yet. The Antichrist, the beast is another term descriptive of him, won't be revealed until after the rapture of the church. But certainly in some countries, there's very little you can do in some countries unless you have some vaccination pass. It's all a precursor to what is coming down the road. Listen, the rapture could happen today. And if the rapture happened and you've heard the gospel, you will not believe. You will believe what is false because of decisions that you have made. Remember, Jesus describes the preaching of the gospel like a man going out and sowing seed. And in Luke's account, Luke says, those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. So that they may not believe and be saved. So what's going to happen in a broad way during the time of the great tribulation is happening in this day. Because you don't draw yourself into the kingdom of God. God draws you. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. The initiative is always with God Almighty. But then you have a choice whether or not you're gonna to respond to that initiative. And if you keep putting God off, his spirit will not strive with you forever. There will come a point where God says, that's it. So number one, you could die today. Number two, the rapture could happen. And number three, God's spirit could stop working. The appetite you have to even come and sit in a service for an hour and a half will be dissolved. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. You say, Pastor Carl, you're trying to scare me. You're absolutely right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Second, I am reminded this morning from this text that our God is the God of the second chance. I mean, how would you have confronted Jonah if you were in the place of God? Now remember, he's a prophet. That's not a self-appointed office. You are appointed by God to be a prophet. We've already seen in 2 Kings 14 in our opening message how under the reign of Jeroboam II he had a very pleasant message to preach. But then, when he is given the opportunity to preach to the Ninevites, he refuses the call. He runs in the opposite direction. God chastises him. God spared his life, and I suppose God could have said, okay, Jonah, I saved you, but I'm not going to use you. Your history. That's not what God does. You mean to tell me, Pastor, if I've rebelled, God can give me a second chance? Yes, he can. He may not be able to erase all the consequences, but don't think of yourself as some second-class person. God wants to use you. And there are multiplicity of examples through Scripture. What did Abraham do? He went on this little expedition down to Egypt, which in the book of Genesis is a symbol of worldliness. And, of course, he got into trouble down in Egypt picked up a a woman named Hagar, ended up having a baby with her, and the consequences of his decision is with us to this day. But God restored Abraham and made him the father of the faithful and the friend of God, Moses. He murdered an Egyptian. But God forgave him and used him to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. John Mark, he quit in the middle of that missionary journey, but God restored him and used him to write the gospel of Mark. Peter, man, he denied the Lord three times. He became the flaming apostle of Pentecost. I mean, have we never, like Abraham, gone on some kind of worldly excursion? Have we never maybe not quit like John Mark when we should have persevered on? Have we never, like Peter, acted cowardly when we had a chance to speak for Christ, but our lips were sewn tight? Have we never, like Jonah, run in the opposite direction? Did God cast him off? Did God disown him? No, he loves his people with an everlasting love. You know, as I read this chapter, and we've only cracked the door, I know, it's not so much a revelation of the prophet as it is a revelation of the prophet's God. At the beginning of the chapter, God shows his grace to Jonah and he reinstates him. And at the end of the chapter, God shows his grace to the Ninevites and that he forgives them. And because they repent, he relents. You know, if you know me, my heart beats for those who are lost. I want to see them come into the kingdom. But my heart beats too for the people of God who have failed. who are just despondent, who need to find God's forgiveness, where God reinstates them. Now Holy Father, I thank you for the prophet Jonah that this is not simply what you have said, but this is what you do say today. And we know we have an accuser of the brethren who is so masterful at condemning those who have been justified convincing them that they are washed up and done. But thank you that you are indeed the God of the second chance, that you can restore those who have failed. And I pray today for some brother or some sister who is sitting in their failure this morning, that they would own their sin and claim the promise that when we say what you say, when we confess our sin, You are both faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help someone else, Father, who has no assurance of their salvation and maybe someone who has even a false assurance. Their life has never fundamentally changed and taken on a new direction. Help them to know that you are indeed a God of justice and wrath. But you poured your holy wrath out on a substitute, Jesus, so that we could be forgiven. Help them today to call upon the risen Lord. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.
1: Jonah had an opportunity to see one of the greatest revivals in history. As believers, our hearts ought to go out to the lost, and we should be ready to share the gospel with those around us. If you would like a copy of today's message in its entirety, visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling us at 877-787-7478 and requesting program JNH6. You can also use the Search the Scriptures with Carl Brogy app available for smartphones and tablets. Perhaps you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that Tuesday mornings between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. Listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. Tomorrow we'll begin a new message in our series from the book of Jonah. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.